Martin Wehmeyer Podcast. We're a public relations team that loves Lansing, and we have a passion for making Michigan a better place. Our firm provides strategic communications, issue management, and digital strategy. I'm Jessica Tremontana, a senior account executive here at Martin Wehmeyer. I'm joined by my colleague, Vice President Kathy Barks-Hoffman. Hi. We also have two different reporters, Ron French from Bridge Magazine. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for joining us, Ron, and Emily Lawler with MLive. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So why don't you guys tell us some of the things that you've been covering lately? I know it's a mixed bag with the election, but what are some of the stories that you're following? Um, you followed throughout the election as well as on the heels of the election, or you're going to even keep an eye on for next year? Well, a lot of things, too many things. Um, I wish there were four of me some days. But, um, you know, going into the election, um, you know, we were kind of tracking this issue of the blue wave and how um, real that is, how, where it manifests, um, and where across the state it manifests. So I think going forward, um, you know, I'm definitely looking at a couple of counties differently <laughs> than I was maybe a, a few uh, cycles ago. So I think that we're learning things and you know, learning important lessons going into 2020 as well. Um, one of the big things that I was looking at was some of those really strong Trump areas where they still strong Republican areas this cycle. Um, and it was a mixed bag. You know, the UP got very Republican. They only have one um, representative in the 109th, which is the cluster of Marquette. Um, who's a Democrat anymore. You know, they've actually flipped a, a seat in the um, House from Democrat to Republican there. Um, and then, you know, you have places like Macomb County who voted very, very strongly for Donald Trump and um, voted for Gretchen Whitmer this time. So. Yeah, and, and uh, over at, uh, at Bridge, uh, we're sort of like scuba divers. We think we're slowly rising to the, to the, to the water level here, trying to de depressurize from the elections. It's, uh, we were all very involved in it, uh, even those of us who don't normally cover politics. Um, uh, I primarily cover education normally, and so I've uh, been spending the past week sort of reacclimating myself to what's going on in that topic area. Um, I'm setting up some stories to be doing uh, here, in the, here in the near future, but uh, really just uh, trying to uh, figure out where to go from here after the uh, exciting election. Now we talked about the elections a little bit, Emily, you specifically, and the counties that surprised you. Were there any other outcomes throughout the election or following the elections that really kind of took you by storm or you, know, you were surprised when you heard about? Yeah, um, I, I guess there were a couple things. One is the kind of progressive narrative. Um, we saw that play out really early in Michigan with the Dana Nessel for AG race. Um, she was running against Pat Miles, who had the labor endorsement. Um, you know, the UAW really had, took a couple of big hits this cycle. Um, they also tried to recruit, um, it seems like, a replacement for or a competitor to Whitmer early on. Um, they lost that miles race. So, you know, labor influence is a, a kind of theme that I'm thinking about and thinking about how that's changing in a post-right-to-work landscape as well. Um, and then, you know, as, as far as surprises night of, I guess just how strong of a factor education is becoming um, when you're looking at kind of those county-by-county county breakdowns or city-by-city city breakdowns. Um, you know, you had places like Oakland County and Kent County who have been um, traditionally red of purple areas <laughs> who are looking a lot different now. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, one of the big corollaries is uh, how much, how many people in those areas have um, bachelor degrees or higher. So I think that uh, that's, that's going to be an interesting issue that I'm tracking going 
looking forward to. And then, of course, we're going into lame duck, so I'm ready for all the surprises. Well, I'm bracing <laughs> myself. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what comes, and I'm taking it one day at a time. So. Sure. And Emily <laughs> talks about the divide that you saw there uh, that you between education levels. Uh, something we saw when you overlay maps of uh, some of the out, um, election outcomes with broadband access. You see a, a shocking oh, difference. That's interesting. Um, so, so just access to easy access to information, does that make a difference in, in how you end up voting? Uh, the, the areas that had the lowest levels, because they were like, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but uh, I'm going to make it up. I think it's something like thir- a dozen or so counties have, fi- have less than 50% broadband access. Mm-hmm. And those tended to be the counties with the highest uh, levels of, of uh of no votes on the prop on the proposals, for example, uh, the highest levels of, of Republican support, um, and so is is that sort of feeding to the divide we have. One one encouraging thing um, that I saw in the elections, though, uh, were the uh, especially with uh, Prop Two and Prop Three, with both have to do with voting access and in, in, in broad strokes, um, how easily they passed, and so when you talk about how divided the state is at the 30,000 foot view level. Um, I think it's important to also note that across the spectrum, generally speaking, um, there was a a, a large amount of support for realizing that there's some things we can do to try to to bridge that divide. So hopefully make it uh, uh, voting easier, uh, hopefully change the sort of culture in um, Michigan by, uh, especially in Lansing, uh, by changing gerrymandering. Um, so I, 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 that, that's something I think that we won't know their exact results for half dozen years at least. But I think that's, uh, that's something that's encouraging. I yeah. did notice you managed to get Bridge, the divide, the name of your company, into, the, uh, into your response here. But I did have a question. <laughs> Talking about broadband, do you think that that means, Ron, that people in those areas are getting more of their news from either cable or broadcast TV? So, you know, it's more that you're watching Fox or MSNBC versus getting access to a wide variety of media that you might be reading online? I think there are fewer uh, sources of news that you would have accessed in those areas. Uh, fewer opportunities, if you have a question about something, to Google it, for that matter, um, to look up to see if, I, I, I just heard this on Fox News, I want to read more about it. You can't get on, on the Internet to, to see what others are saying about it. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a major issue that Michigan needs to tackle. That's interesting. Kathy, I know, is former bureau chief for the Associated Press you, and still a political junkie at heart. I'm still a political junkie. <laughs> <laughs> any, any election surprises for you that um, really kind of just struck you? Well, I think that Ron and, and uh, Emily have hit on both of those, is that, like you said, just how much education mattered. Um, that you could kind of basically predict how things were going. And, and I just read a story today where basically you could show that nationally, um, that you know places were going blue that had higher levels of college education. Um, you know they, they were saying, though, that that's a problem, both here in Michigan and nationally, because uh, you leave out people because they, you know, they're not suddenly going to get college education. So how do you end up making sure that you know, there's still jobs there, there's still access to broadband there? Um, because, like you said, people might be voting differently if they feel like they have more economic opportunity, for instance. And from a, uh, if you're a politician, um, where are you going to put your efforts? Where there are 90% of the population that, 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 that has, a, a, many of them have a college education, or the people of 
you know, Copper Harbor or wherever, you know, up north that, 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 that uh, doesn't have a lot of access. I mean, it, so it has economic implications long term as far as like where politicians decide to put their efforts. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, t- walk me through what is the average day like for both of you? And Emily, let's start with you because I know you have a pretty broad coverage base. So, you know, um, from covering the legislature to the governor's office, t- talk to me about what an average day looks like for you. Well, I'll give you an average session day. And for context, session only happens Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So this is not every day. If it were, I might die. Um, <laughs> when the legislature's in session. <laughs> when the right? legislature's yep. in session. Um, so it I actually starts the day, day before. Um, the night before, I'm going through committees and deciding where I want to prioritize my committee um, assignments and you know, kind of seeing what issues are up that might be interesting to my readers and also what I need to cover at a committee level versus what I can catch when it goes through through a floor vote. Um, so, yeah, so I usually start with a committee in the morning, maybe a House committee, um, you know, could start around 8 or 9, 8.30 perhaps. Um, uh, and Senate has a couple of morning committees as well. And then the Senate starts at 10, so I try to be in the chamber at 10 or a little bit before so I can get a seat. <laughs> and um, Uh, So I'm sitting on the floor um, and listening to what's going on on the floor, um, you know, keeping tabs of the bills that I'm interested in that day, um, but also sometimes tuning into more committees because House committees are still meeting. So sometimes I'll be listening to a committee um, that's being broadcast as I'm reporting um, on the floor as well. So, you know, by this point, I've usually got one to two stories up. (laughs) And then um, depending on the day at either noon or 1.30, the House starts their session and I buzz over there um, unless something incredibly interesting is happening in the Senate. So, um, and you know, I might have a story or two um, based off the the House and then I might wrap it up with like kind of a thematic, you know, I asked both leaders about this issue um, or I asked the quadrant, all four leaders about um, this issue and here's a thematic story too. So, you know, in just an average day, like depending on how all those different events turn out and kind of the level of interest and also everything else that's on my plate, um, you know, I'm turning out between two and four or five stories. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then conversely, Mondays and Fridays when the legislature is not in session or also during the summer a little bit, um, I get some time to peel out, peel out, peel back um, and work on projects. And I really usually have something churning um, on my Friday burner. <laughs> so I'm usually, um, you know, also while I'm in these sessions, if I'm working on something long term, I'll be grabbing different representatives or senators to talk about that as well, either on or off the record to just kind of generate some ideas ideas. Um, so yeah, I always have a lot of plates spinning. So it's a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I think maybe Kathy can speak to this, but I'm sure that um, from what I've heard, uh, you know, in different times, maybe four or five people would have been doing that work. So Yes, certainly when I started at the AP, we had four of us there doing that work, and then it got down to one, and it's just difficult. You know, I admire you, and, and all the people that are in one- or two-person bureaus that are still trying to cover what... I was going to say, you were the one. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. Um, ranger. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is just difficult. There is only so many places you physically can be, and there's only so many things you can keep going in your head at one time. So, um, like I said, I, I admire the people that are doing the work that you know, two or three or four other people were doing back in the day. Yeah, and I should say I'm lucky that I do have colleagues from across the state that 
have kind of specialized in different subject areas. So if there's an environmental bill going through, I might just be talking to a couple people, sending them quotes, and they're actually doing the reporting on that. So I, you know, um, and I should say Garrett Ellison is our environmental reporter. He's fabulous. Um, but, you know, so there are different kind of areas like that. Um, education, I have someone who pitches in pretty often. Um, so, you know, I am able to, we're able to cover kind of those broad topics um, in good ways, I think, from a policy perspective. Yeah. Ron, what about you? What's an average day look like? Well, I'm exhausted just listening to what Emily does every day. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm going to go home and take a nap. Um, and a Tylenol. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Emily's doing God's work doing that sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, my publication tends to work at a, a different metabolism, thank God. Otherwise, I'd be dead by now. But, uh, <laughs> but um, generally speaking, uh, Bridge in general uh, does not cover uh, daily work um, out, out of the legislature. I think it's going to change a little bit this year. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, of, of following uh, certain targeted issues that we are covering. Uh, as far as what I do, I cover education. So um, my, my day typically is, is I'm a large news consumer. I, I, I start my day by um, consuming a lot of state and national news um, from different, uh, different sites. Um, both locally and, and nationally, and um, then I begin making some calls to different different news sources that I have, uh, just, just a, a lot of chit-chat, to be honest, uh, but just feeling out like what's going on. And frankly, um, then I do a lot of, 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 of um, sort of a sourcing on, on social media. Um, it's, it's amazing how many of my stories today come from, from uh, things I see people posting about on social media now that, that I find hmm. out is going on. Any examples? Uh, yeah, uh, well, um, there was a, an election story that from uh, election night where we were um, end up using some examples in our story of how impassioned people were about a midterm, which people normally don't bother with. Mm -hmm. um, people posting on social media about like, if, if anyone out there needs a, a ride to the polls, let me know and I'll go pick you up. You know, it, it, was, it, it was sort of a crazy amount of, of, of investment in this. And so we, I, I was sort of trolling around looking for examples of that sort of thing. Um, I also uh, am uh, collecting a, a guest commentary from a, an elementary school that uh, had posted something just about that they were doing this, this, this garden and, 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 and it wasn't about, you know, a lot of schools do that, but, it, but they were used as, as example to, to um, reach out to the community and, and, and teaching young people about, about, about interactions with different types of people because the school sort of was in an area that was different from the neighborhood the school was located. So it was a good way to branch that divide. That's incredible. That's, you would never, you know, I, I reported back and I got out of news in 2010, but back then it wasn't so much, you know, looking at Facebook for ideas or stories. Or it's amazing how much social media, and I'm sure you're the same way, Emily, that, that, that just, just, just envelops you in, in reporting anymore. Yeah. Well, let's talk inboxes. What's your inbox look like on a daily basis and how many, um, I guess, press releases or pitches do you receive from folks like Kathy or me? I get about a half dozen a day. I, I, when I saw when I saw we were doing this sort of look, I went back and looked, and I get about a half dozen a day. The vast majority are from things that have nothing to do and will never ever see the light of day. I can't imagine why they're wasting their time. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I get an email. Every, it's not from me, right? No, no, okay, yours. I always take and I always <laughs> write stories about Jessica. But no, but um, I, I get an email every week from the European European Railway Association. What? 
Yeah, um, and I guess they're still hoping, just still hoping <laughs> that, this, that this Michigan publication is going to write about like this new railway line they have in che- through uh, the Czech Republic. But um, hasn't happened yet, but they're still trying. Plus they're little hearts. <laughs> Emily, what about you? Um, so I went through my inbox yesterday in anticipation of this question. Um, I was off of work yesterday um, and actually all last week, so I've had an away message up or an out-of-office not away message, that's very aim of me. Um, <laughs> but I've had an out of office reply up for, um, you know, whatever, four days at this point. Um, so I think that reduced my volume a little bit, but I had 82 incoming emails and that's not people from my company, that's just, um, you know, emails from other organizations and pitches, et cetera. Um, that's just in my regular folder. I did not check my junk email, <laughs> which is, I have like two junk email folders. My Outlook keeps creating these for some reason. And um, I know there are hundreds more in there. Um, I've also created Outlook rules to block certain things from ever getting to my email, so it's not including any of those either. Um, So I get a ton of pitches, and most of them are highly irrelevant. I liked the European Railways, although I'm not on their list. (laughs) Afford it to you. Afford it to you. Um, (laughs) I've got her feelings. (laughs) You know, some of them are tangentially related to um, maybe part of my beat or something I might have once covered a million years ago. Um, Not really a million. I'm not that old. Um, But, you know, for example, I get um, (laughs) a very dedicated gentleman named, I believe, Mr. Shapiro, um, emails me Vegas betting odds on political candidates, um, like for election outcomes. And I probably get like, you know, maybe one a day. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, I'm trying to think now, maybe it's less than that, but at least, you know, several a week. Um, uh, And I, I, you know, I don't even know how I would put that in a political context. I don't know how I would make that relevant to my readers. I also, you know, I mean, if, if, reporting on straight polls is bad. I can't imagine what what people betting off of polls is. It's a (laughs) level removed, right? Um, And, you know, everything from that to, you know, out-of-state companies who want me to write about their new product, which um, I was a business reporter in a different life. I'm not anymore. Um, And, uh, you know, most of the stuff that I get from within Michigan is of interest to me. Most of the stuff that I get from national publications or national interest groups is not. Hmm. That's interesting. Any any pitches really stick out in your mind? Anything that anyone really was a home run or a grand slam or even a huge failure? I mean, the, it sounds like the you know European railway is a pretty the, spectacular. They're example. still trying, <laughs> and uh, you know it may be a slow news day someday when I do write that. But no, not, not you know most of the time, and I'm sure Emily's the same way. You know, I do not open these things. You know, um, you you know. 95% of these things just are, you know, immediately deleted. Okay. Um, if it's not a name I recognize or an organization I recognize or a slug line that's related to what I work on, it's not getting opened. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the subject line is pretty important. The subject line is huge. I think that's true. That's a good point. I, I think you get, like, the maximum 10-second scan from me when I click on it. So... Um, you know, I would say that things that do make it relevant, um, I mean, if you know that I report on legislation and you say, hey, I have this issue, um, this client's working on something super specific and, uh, you know, it's not legislation yet, but this person's thinking about introducing it or, um, you know, I can hook you up with this representative who um, actually sponsored some legislation on this and we're trying to get a hearing or whatever. Those are far more relevant to me than, um, you know, probably 99% of the pitches I get. 
Um, and, and, you know, same with, like, kind of these broad political topics. I mean, I do, I like my real person inbox. Like, when real readers email me, um, I can often turn those into sources and, and people that I'm talking to for stories I'm working on. And, um, you know, those are some of the most useful things I get are, like, reader feedback, I'd say. Yeah. And Kathy, you reported for decades. I mean, you know, how have you used that experience to translate what you do every day in PR? Well, I mean, first of all, you do know that the subject line is the most important thing because that's really all you've got most reporters looking at. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, PR people can have tools now where they can see how long you looked at it and whether you opened it. So they know whether you just scanned it or whether you actually opened it and spent up to maybe 10 seconds looking at it. I mean, it's broken down that specifically. And I always look at those lists because I'm always kind of like, okay, who, have, who is actually paying attention? Um, who at least looked at the headline, but that's it. Because, I mean, that informs, you know, you whether you're hitting any of your target audiences or not. And I can tell you right now, we get about a 24, 25% open rate. That's about, you're lucky if you get one out of four people you've sent it to to look at. And some of those are going to be people at the same organization, multiple people at the same organization. So you've maybe only hit that organization once. So you're you're le- even less successful than that. I, I hope I'm not giving away any PR secrets here. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that's one of the things I've learned as a reporter. Um, also, you know, if you can put a e- personal email note at the top saying why this is relevant, saying why you might be interested in this, and saying that I can hook you up with somebody about this topic, you know, right there you've, you've done a lot more work to help your client than uh, anything else because people don't have time. Reporters don't have time. So, A, if you are going to give them the tools that they need to turn this into a decent story, you're way ahead of the competition right there at that point. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. I do like when people put a little personalized note at the top for, like, why they're reaching out to me about this because sometimes it seems like, you know, the something pretty far afield (laughs) from what I'd normally cover but when people say hey you know I'm actually tying it back to some legislation you wrote about a year ago would you be interested in picking back up on that or you know something like that I think it's a a lot more effective for me but I am embarrassed to know that you can see my skims because I do like there are days where I'm just like I don't have time right and then there are other now I'm embarrassed on the other end too like when I've spent like 10 minutes looking at this email and decided not to call you right (laughs) (laughs) Well, it never tells if somebody's actually spent a whole 10 minutes. At that point, we'd probably give you a gold plaque or something, you know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it it goes up to, like, 20 seconds or something. It's not long. Um, But, you know, it is something that PR professionals are always trying to worry about. It's like, okay, how do we come up with something that's going to get somebody's attention? And, you know, there's very few things anymore these days that um, I think that are, even if you're a smaller local paper, you just don't have the room sometimes. You know, right. or it's, I'll send something out and it'll get in the paper two weeks later. And I'm like, well, that's not even timely, but that's when they had the space. So, you know, that's not really a problem for MLive or for Bridge. You guys are strictly online publications, but still there's only so much that can be put up. And uh, I think that's something too that PR professionals need to think about sometimes. I don't know, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, we do have eight newspapers um, and it's always hard for me to, like, I don't really know when what I write is going to go in the newspaper. So, you know, I'm hoping it's timely, but I'm also not in a distribution market. So now that you say that, it may not be. <laughs> but I uh, do think that, uh, no, that's that's good to know and interesting. And yeah, I, I do feel like 
you know, sometimes I, I wish that I worked for like a more local good news kind of vibe, right? But I'm digging into all these like super big statewide issues. And, you know, sometimes I get like a local really cute story that I just can't do anything with. So, but I, I'm pretty good about referring people to the LSJ or whoever does cover local news. So <laughs> there's yeah. that too. Sure. What about pitch calls? Pitch calls, yay or nay? Um, I, I can't remember a pitch call that has changed whether I was going to cover something or not. So me coming to your office and begging doesn't work? Oh, you, obviously. <laughs> beyond you. No, but... Because um, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's that muffin you bring with you. That's yes. right. No, but, um, yeah, I, I, I generally, oftentimes, it's usually, usually the ones that call are the people who are making 100 calls in a row from 100 emails that sent out asking if I'm going to show up in um, Hamtramck to cover the mayor giving a, a speech about the next year's budget or something, you know, and, and, and it's just like, one, you'd think you should try to figure out who you know, know your audience, okay? Um, and, and, and I would not waste, if I were a, a PR uh, specialist, I, I would not waste my time making those calls to everybody. But, but focus on the, the, the handful of people that are more likely to have an interest in that. Um, uh, Martin Waymire knows that I cover education. You know, Martin Waymire is likely to reach out to me and either personally or through an email very specifically with something about education. I know that if I get an email from Martin Waymire because I have that relationship from past stories that I'm going to open up their emails that I'm going to look to see, you know, that they are likely, if, if it's not exactly on my topic, I can tell them what I would be interested in. They can go out and find that person for me, you know. Um, the more the, as, as, as Kathy said, the more that, that, that public relations um, experts can, can do some of the legwork for the reporters nowadays, uh, the better off they're going to be. Tita. I think I'm in the minority of both reporters and millennials, but I still like getting pitch calls, um, mostly because it's very easy for things to accidentally fall off my plate. <laughs> um, you know, I'm balancing a lot of things, and there's been occasions, definitely, when someone will give me a call and say, hey, did you see our press conference is starting in half an hour? You think you can make it? And I'm like, oh, shoot, <laughs> right? Like, <Yeah. laughs> maybe I've just been about to type up something else or go to lunch or whatever. And so I've definitely been saved by the pitch call, and <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> underestimate the value of that. Um, there's also been times that I just can't answer pitch calls, um, and people have texted me, which I enjoy as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very used to saying no, like I do not mind saying no, but sometimes it does just remind me of where I need to be or, um, you know, maybe I saw it, I saw your bulletin about it, um, you know, two or three days ago and I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. And then totally forgot. Right. Sure. <laughs> so. Um, I do, you know, keep a calendar. I'm not as scatterbrained as I may be sounding right now at this moment, but, um, you know, sometimes it just needs that, that bump in relevance to, um, prioritize within my day. So. Yeah. And Ron had a great recommendation to have more targeted pitches to really try to seek out people who you've seen covering. Definitely. Do, do yeah. Else? I mean, if you're, if you're doing something at the Capitol, I probably want to know about it. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. But exactly. yes, if you're doing something in Hamtramck, I'm probably a bad person to call on a session day. So that makes sense. Guys, anything else that you want to add that I didn't ask you, you want to make sure that we talk about, or you want to hit on 
I would just make a pitch that 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 if you, if you want to be successful as as much as possible, try to get to know the reporters, the journalists, or at least the organizations, uh, know what they are focused on, um, so that that you can you can tailor your pitches to that specific reporter. Yeah, great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, and and it's helpful for me um, to be able to. You know, when when people do know me or they are closer for to me, um, it's easier for me to like kind of guide you on what I do and don't do. I, I did a thing um, this election season where I basically told everyone I wasn't going to cover endorsements, <laughs> and um, you know it was kind of a it, it gets kind of a rat racey, right? And it's just there's a thousand of them. I'd mm-hmm. be writing 15 stories a day on just endorsements, and I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that. Um, and so, you know, we ended up doing some really high-level ones, like the presidential ones, basically. Uh, but other than that, you know, I mean, there were people that I told one time, and they were like, okay, we get it, you don't do endorsements. Um, there were other people who, I mean, literally every single endorsement would call me, and every single time I'd say, like, yeah, we've actually talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't do endorsements. Right, right. And, you know, it's like some people just didn't get it. And it got really like, you know, like they'd try to make the, the case like, well, the operating engineer's 312, though. You got to do the operating engineer's 312. And I'm like, you know, I'm writing for a general circulation audience. Most people don't know what that is. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, PR people could also sometimes take what I am directly telling you and apply it to their pitches and, and how they're pitching and what they're pitching to me. So, yeah, great advice. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us, Ron French, Elmay Lawler. Thanks for joining Kathy and me. This is the Martin Waymeyer podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you.